0: Realm Presents Book Burners, Season 4, Episode 5. One.
1: Lydia's eyes stung beneath her lashes, even as she squeezed them shut against the greasy layer of concealer and cold cream that slid off her skin and swirled like milk-drowned coffee into the shower drain, carrying the tension of her day in disguise along with it. The first day back to the mundane world was always hard, but this, while Lydia was no stranger to death, no sister of the forest could be, there was a difference between death, clean, sharp, and cold, and hot, wet murder. One carried the sharpness and clarity of pine and snow, of blue skies and the cry of the hawk at dusk. The slaughter of the maitress brought with it only the stench of copper and filth. Even now, the odor of rot seemed to rise on the steam around her as the grisly scene returned to her mind. And Lydia scrubbed at the tinted chemicals concealing her true skin a little harder. The wolf that lay across her back, the companion even most mages assumed was an elaborate tattoo, whined and nipped at her neck. She forced herself to be calm again. She whispered soothing words to it, sluicing warm water over its face and felt the wolf subside wriggling across her skin, content to roll and stretch in the beautiful woods her sisters had made for it, had carved with blood and paint into her flesh. The water in the drain rang clear, and Lydia's heart settled. It always did when she could shed the masks, the concessions to modern corporate culture and ancient fears that they were only a bad winter and a whispered rumor away from a crowd of ravenous eyes and empty bellies erecting stakes and bonfires at the foot of London Bridge. It had been 200 years since the last sister had burned, but Lydia could still scent the memory of her ashes on the wind. The water cooled and Lydia turned off the taps. Alone in her living room, Lydia turned her dinner, a piece of rabbit, over the fire. It was an indulgence to take the time to cook this way, when she could use the modern magic of radiation and machines to prepare a manufactured meal to satisfy her hunger in a matter of moments. But while she might be required to spend her days working in a glass and steel cage, manipulating the runes of international finance to provide for her brothers in the woods, she too had needs beyond the gross and physical. The ritual of licking fire and spitting fat helped her feel less alone. And as the light from the window faded, Lydia could almost imagine the shadowed faces of her absent sisters on the other side of the flames. She waited for the fire to do its work and sang to her companion in the old tongue. They watched the flames together, and she nurtured the tiny spark of home that nestled in her breast. The maîtress, for all that she had not been of the blood, had been right about one thing. The world was forever altered since the events of London. The masses might still be ignorant of much of the hidden world, but the veil was shredding before their eyes. Eventually, the true nature of magic would be revealed to everyone and those who had lived in ignorance would need the experience of the ones who had not left the old paths. The brothers would be able to walk out of the forest without fear, and if that were possible, maybe Lydia would be allowed to return home. Both Lydia and her companion were watching the fire, devouring the fragrant, sizzling hair with hungry eyes and ears in anticipation of the joy for fingers and tongue to come. And so neither saw the man who had slipped into her house silent as a shadow. Nor did they notice his sword until it entered Lydia's back. The blade pierced her companion first, and it was its snarl of anger and pain that gave Lydia an instant's warning before the steel pushed all the way through her skin to reach the flesh beneath. It was only an instant, but in it, Lydia seized the flames before her and snatched them from the grate. She felt a shadow bloom in the blade's wake, ripping through lungs and heart like roots through rock if Hertz moved with the speed of an ibex over hard snow. Even as she screamed, Lydia staggered to her feet, turned, and flung the flames before her, a shield, a sword, a light, against the darkness tearing her apart from the inside out. She was dying, and with her last breath, she set her companion free. Run, leave me, warn the others. She could hear its roar through the ringing in her ears. The last thing she saw was gray fur, and the face of a man with hollowed cheeks and shadowed eyes. Then there was nothing but the dark. Alexander, Mr. Norse, Mr. Alexander Norse. He repeated the name in his mind, a mantra as he searched the house, heedless of the blood smeared by his shoes over the floor. There had been a time when he would have been appalled at the mere thought of bloodstains on his hand-stitched leather oxfords, individually crafted to his exact measurements by a blind cobbler who lived like a prince off clients who might order two pairs of shoes in a lifetime. But those days were from a past distant in mind, if not in years. Time was such a pliant and malleable thing, when you knew its nature. Joy could burst a moment in an instant, sending it into the unrecoverable past. Pain and terror were the bedrock of time. The seconds they touched endured forever. He could not know how long the woman suffered. To his eye, she died quickly. For her, it could have been an eon of agony, all contained in the moment she saw his face. Whose face? His. And he was? A geologic age of loss and confusion passed while he had no name, no mission, no thought except for the feeling of hot breath against his neck breath there came from a thing with no mouth and no name. Name, his name, Alexander, Mr. Norse, Mr. Alexander, Norse, Alexander, Mr. Mr. Norse, Mr. Alexander. The familiar syllables came to him, as they always did eventually. A faithful dog returning to its master when all others had deserted him. In his relief, he paused, ignored the pricking at his heels that was always there, always prodding him forward in his mission. After, how long, a heartbeat, an hour, a year? The agony drove him to his knees. It only abated when he managed to crawl forward, resuming the search. He had a list, items, people. He could not rest until everything on the list had been obtained. In the dim part of his mind that could still hope, Alex Norris looked forward to the time when the pain would stop. He wondered how long that moment would last. Sal stood in the back garden of the small house on the outskirts of the village. She forced herself to focus on the details in front of her, not the memory of what she had seen behind. They were still commuting distance from London, but the city felt a world away from these tiny streets and stone cottages. The thick lawn in front of her would have been the envy of the most house-proud of her parents' neighbors, but the trees and shrubs that dotted it were unkempt, shaggy, wild. Ringed by a high stone wall on three sides, the garden felt like a piece of wilderness. Sal took a deep breath and smelled pine, growing things, and blood. Are you all right? Grace was at her shoulder, no doubt concerned that their lead investigator was standing unmoving with her back to the crime scene. Sal was staring at the grass while her lovers Girlfriends? While the life of the woman she loved was evaporating into a candle flame and burning away, she couldn't afford to waste time. Neither of them could. Sal nodded. Yeah, I'm fine. Let's go back in. Sal resisted inhaling for as long as she could after entering the house, but the taste of copper and ash clung to the back of her throat anyway. Gradually, her mind stopped spinning out. Oh, God, so much blood. Does one person even have that much blood? And Sal felt familiar habits falling into place. This was a crime scene, she was a detective, had been, anyway. This is what you train for, she reminded herself. The last three years have just been improvising. Police, had they been notified yet? The street was quiet, but there was no way to know when the woman lying crumpled before the fireplace would be missed. Best to get the information they needed quickly and to leave as small a trace as possible. Sal didn't have a crime lab. She didn't have the resources of the society. Still, if she was going to do this, she was going to do it properly. Out of habit, Sal reached for the jacket pocket where she had always kept her field notebook. It wasn't there. The pocket wasn't even there. She hadn't worn a blazer in years. Okay, then, she was going to do this as properly as she could. Deep breath, blood, smoke, just like old times. Liam, she asked, yeah, Liam was behind her. They were all behind Sal, waiting. Can you get photos of the scene? She heard the rustle of his phone coming out of his jacket, on it. I assume you've run a search on the address? Figured I should do something while you were standing around with your thumb up your arse. It's called thinking, you should try it sometime. Just waiting for a role model. Sal couldn't stop the smile from creeping up her lips. Asante was less amused. Are you two going to stand there cracking jokes, or are you going to investigate a murder, a second murder? We don't know for sure that this is related to the maîtress's death, Menchu said gently. Yes, said Asante, because it's likely that members of the market arcanum are just being killed randomly. Sal sighed. Asante wanted a fight, and she didn't have the energy to give her one. She had a job to do. Hopefully, we can settle the question one way or the other. She turned to Liam. Do you know who the victim is? Homeowner listed as Lydia Shema. She works, well, worked at a financial firm in London. Not much social media presence. uh, Just some photos from hiking in the mountains. Any family, boyfriend? Maybe this was simple, an ordinary murder. Nothing to do with them. And if this was just a random crime, they were back to having zero leads in the search for Norse the man who had killed the most powerful magician in Europe. The man who had probably killed again. Got a couple of pictures, said Liam, no names yet. Sal nodded. Okay, so that's what the police will be working with. Any hints as to who she really was? What, you don't think that a nice banker can enjoy trips to the Alps? I don't think a nice banker owns magical artifacts that used to belong to the maitress. Speaking of, Asanti, any idea if what you pinged is still in the house? They hadn't come here looking for a crime scene after all. Asante frowned and pushed her way up to and past Sal, still in the doorway. I'll see what I can do. Her feet skirted the edge of one of the many blood trails that covered the floor, the walls, and Sal looked up. Yes, spattered the ceiling. Don't touch anything, Sal said. We don't want the police sniffing in our direction. Asante remained silent, but her glare spoke volumes. Sal forbore from further comment. Asante was the closest they had to a forensics team. If she wasn't worried about leaving trace evidence, who was Sal to argue? Asante drew out a bundle of green herbs from one pocket and a lighter from another, nurturing a flame from the latter to the former until the plants reached a thick smolder. Coaxing the smoke upward, Asante whispered to it in a language that made Sal's ears itch. From the way Liam was shifting behind her, hers weren't the only ones. Slowly, the smoke coalesced into a thick, gray snake that slithered down Asante's leg and across the floor. It moved aimlessly, exploring the area the way a real snake might, except that as it passed over the drying reddish-brown smears, it left no trace of its passing. It slid into the next room, but quickly returned and curled up by Asante's ankles. There's nothing here that once belonged to the matress. Guess the killer took it, said Liam. So now Mr. Norse has not only killed again, he is also in possession of another powerful relic. And if we had been here sooner, he could have killed us too, said Sal. It was true, but didn't make her feel any better. From the blood tracks, the killer had searched the scene thoroughly. It must have taken some time. Although given the nature of their work, she supposed it wasn't impossible that Lydia could have smeared her blood around herself, either before or after she died. Sal was working a crime scene like a cop, but that didn't mean that she could forget everything she had learned in her time with the society. Ruling out possibilities prematurely was how cases went unsolved and how killers went free. Sal frowned. Asante, you said there's nothing here that used to belong to the matress. Yes. Asante's tone was clipped with impatience, letting that that's what I told you remain implied. Is there anything magical here at all? The killer had found and taken what he was looking for. He might not have taken everything there was to find. This time, when Asante whispered to the smoke snake, her tones were harsh. Sal wondered if the snake could tell that Asante was angry at herself, not it. The snake circled the room only once before sliding over to the largest pool of blood by Lydia's body. The snake lifted itself like a cobra, hovered for a moment, It might have been examining its reflection had the liquid still been reflective and had the smoke snake had eyes. Instead, it lowered its head to the drying surface and drank. It's going to put that back, right? Asante did not deign to answer Sal's question. By the time the blood was gone, the engorged snake could barely slither back to Asante's side. Where the blood had been, there was now an image of a wild forest, so seamlessly stained into the boards it looked like an inlay. Not that most people would want a picture of that on their floor, Sal thought. The scene showed ancient pines on the side of a mountain, bisected by a stream that looked so real Sal could have sworn she could hear it rushing over the rocks. But none of that could distract from the wolf on the far bank, half skinned and staked through the heart. A figure stood over it, sword raised to strike off the beast's head. His face was turned, but the profile was enough to settle the question of the killer's identity. The man on the floor was definitely Mr. Norse. Alexander, Mr. Norse, Mr. Alexander Norse. He had shed the blood-covered shoes kilometers ago and had not replaced them. Where he walked, half in and half out of the world, they were not necessary. He had left the item he had taken from the wolf woman in a lead box, buried it in the middle of a Belgian cornfield. The relic was his master's responsibility now. Norse could strike it from his list. So many superfluous things he had once clung to. Now he crossed a dense forest that grew colder with every upward step, carrying only his sword and his mission. The ground was soft and the rich loam compressed soundlessly beneath his feet, so long as he did not move too quickly. Alexander Norris was in no hurry. He had no need to run in pursuit of his prey. Running triggered an uncomfortable memory of plush carpets and dusty halls that led nowhere, of doors that would not open and windows that would not break, of being chased. No one was chasing him, not here, not now, never again. Now he was the hunter.
0: You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords, so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location, so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seehorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Two.
1: Antoine's breath smoked as he looked up into the star's spattered sky. The gray pelt over his back a reassuring weight and warmth. Even in high summer, the night air in the Alps was crisp and cool. Brothers of the forest carried their wolves over their shoulders. Their sisters carried theirs inside their skins. He and his brothers had felt Lydia leave the pack, and that awareness had drawn them together from their corners of the wild woods. As one, they shouted their grief to the full moon rising over snowy peaks. The moon was high and bright overhead as Grace drove the band toward London. With every minute that passed, Asante could sense Mr. Norris getting farther from her grasp. Not that she could literally sense him, of course. If she could, she would be able to follow that sense to the man himself and make him pay for what he had done to the maîtress. But no, all she had was the knowledge that Alexander Norris had now killed a second time and that they were still no closer to bringing him to justice. Sal, who was supposed to be in charge of this investigation, had no leads. Asante saw no evidence that she was getting closer to finding one neither at the scene of the murder nor now as she sat in the passenger seat talking with grace in low tones. Liam at least was working, buried in his laptop. Not that Asante thought the internet would provide useful clues. We should discuss our next move, Asante said, louder than she needed to when the loudest sound in the car was the thrum of tires on pavement. Her voice shattered the easy calm of the van in an instant. Good. Sal half turned in her seat. We go back to London and continue the investigation, she said. So you have evidence that Alexander Norse is in London? Sarcasm dripped from the question, and Grace's grip on the steering wheel tightened. Sal's patience sounded strained. We learned everything we could from the scene of the crime. You mean the scene of the murder? Yes. And now we're going back to London so you can continue to do nothing, and Mr. Norris can kill again? If you can't find him, his victims are on your head. Liam's fingers stopped their constant clacking on his keyboard. The van held its breath. Sal said very softly, Believe me, I know. Asante opened her mouth to speak, but Manchu cut her off. Grace, I think I see a motorway services ahead. Why don't you pull over? As soon as the van stopped, Manchu got out and walked over to the far side of the parking lot. Liam went inside to buy coffee. Sal and Grace stayed with the car. Asante walked ahead of Manchu to show that she wasn't following him. When they reached the far corner, he stopped. Asanti waited for him to speak. He didn't. You're not my supervisor, Asante said. Technically, you never were. I know. Was there something you wanted to talk about? Only if you do, he replied. With every moment we delay, Mr. Norsk gets closer to his next victim, or to disappearing forever. Sal is doing just fine, wasting my time without any help from you. And you think talking to her the way you did in the van will help speed her progress? Something has to? Honestly, Arturo, I don't know why you put her in charge of this. She's clearly out of her depth. We need someone who can investigate a murder. Sal was a police detective for longer than she's been with us. If Mr. Norse could be found by the police, we could have let the authorities in Liechtenstein track him. And you don't think Sal can do better? Why do you have such faith in her abilities? We've worked with her for the last three years. Why do you have so little? Asante gave a small snort. Faith has always been your department, father. His lips half twisted in a smile that didn't reach his eyes. So it was. But this isn't like you, Asanti. You've never known me to suffer fools. You've never considered the rest of us in that category. Asante opened her mouth to object, then closed it. She didn't feel like denying it. It felt close enough to true. Are you really angry at Sal? So? Manchu asked. Who else should I be angry with? You tell me. Now you sound like a therapist. Menchu shrugged. I've been ousted from the society. If they decide to evict me from the priesthood, I'll need an alternative career. You are closer to the matress than any of us. Closer to her than most people on this planet. If you don't take the time to mourn, your grief will find you. I will mourn her once her murderer is found. A pause. Is it worse that it's Norse? Asante blinked in genuine surprise. Why should it be worse? We didn't make her more dead than another killer would have. But we knew Norse. All of us thought he was gone for good. Asante, it's not your fault that he escaped. Rage and laughter warred in her chest. Asante forced them both down with an effort of will. Fire was only constructive when contained within a hearth or a forge. I grieve for the maîtress's passing, she said. I mourn her now and I will for years to come. But do not mistake a lack of patience for a lack of rationality. A killer is at large and in possession of magical artifacts of terrifying power. I don't pursue him to salve my conscience. I don't even do so for vengeance. I'm trying to save the world. She left Manchu standing at the edge of the parking lot and returned to the van. Sal leaned against the van, watching the cars speed by on the highway, motorway. Here, she corrected herself. She ignored Manchu and Asante on the other side of the parking lot. Car park. Grace hip-checked her gently. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Just thinking. It's not true, you know. Sal frowned. What Asante said about Norse's victims being on your head if you can't find him? They're not, they're on him. I know, and I'll probably blame myself anyway. She shrugged. Comes with the job. Then what are you so busy thinking about? Grace asked. The outdoor lights threw strange shadows over her face as Sal frowned. Just what we're going to do with Norse when we catch him this time. I mean, apparently trapping him in a hell dimension isn't enough to do the job. Call Sansoni, let her make it Shaw's problem. From what I hear, Team One has enough problems. While London was certainly the epicenter of the planet's magical activity, nearly every day brought reports of a fresh hotspot somewhere. Sansoni was on the news several times a week, and Shaw and her team featured in a lot of action B-roll. We don't have the resources of the society anymore, and even if we did, I'm not sure they would be enough to keep him contained. Not indefinitely, anyway. Grace paused and then said, dead is forever. Grace, we at least have to consider it. We are not a murder squad. We find artifacts, stop their effects, and save innocent people, full stop. And we hide the secret of magic from the rest of the world? Like you said, we're not with the society anymore. We're still members of the human race. Technically, I'm still a member of the NYPD. And my badge number doesn't start with a double O. Grace smiled. I enjoyed reading Fleming. You realize he wrote fiction, right? You realize we might not have another option? Grace leaned over and pecked Sal on the cheek. I actually find your lack of bloodlust one of your more endearing qualities. There's more than one. Sal smiled, a real one this time, but even as she said it, she was thinking of Norse. Picturing him standing over another victim, locked in battle with Asante, threatening Grace. And if it came down to that moment, what could Sal do to stop him? Do you want me to get a gun? Grace asked, just in case. Sal sighed. Not yet, but I'll let you know. Grace nodded and said nothing. Liam let the rest of the team have their space. If there was anything life in a large family taught you, it was how to let other people have their fights without putting yourself in the middle of them. He picked up snacks, enough for everyone. Nothing exacerbated tension like low blood sugar. Poured bad gas station coffee into the largest to-go cup he could find and let his mind wander. It wasn't fair of Asante to say that Sal was to blame if Norse kept killing. Liam was an expert in taking on other people's guilt, and even he could see that Norse's actions were solidly on him. It wasn't like Lydia had hired them as her personal security. Maybe she should have. But no one had known that Norse was going to keep killing after the maitress. Now, though, For all they knew, he was planning on cutting his way through the rest of the membership of the market. Shit. Liam tossed a handful of bills and loose coins onto the counter by the register as he hurried out, calling, Pay it forward, mate, when the cashier asked him if he wanted his change. He found Sal and Grace waiting by the van. Asante and Manchu approached from the edge of the parking lot. I know how we can find Norse, or at least make it harder for him to kill his next victim. How? Asante demanded. We warned the members of the market he said, anyone who doesn't pick up their phone. Sal finished the thought. We go warn them in person and hope they aren't already dead. As Grace drove, the rest of the group divided the list of everyone they knew of from the market Arcanum and started making calls. Sal drew the short straw and had to telephone Pavel Engstrom, the douchebag Swede. She wondered if he could sense the epithet she had mentally tagged him with in her tone, or if he just had terrible phone manners. Oh, yes, I remember you. The book burner. Are you not dead yet? Apparently, he wasn't dead yet either, although Sal decided not to say that out loud. He was obnoxious, yes, but he had a powerful family, and it was usually better not to poke the owner of a homunculus bear. I'm calling to let you know there's been another murder. I'm sure there have been a lot of murders, he said sweetly. "Oh, Good, not just a dishbag, but a patronizing dishbag. We have reason to believe that Mr. Norris killed another member of the Market Arcanum last night, a woman named Lydia. Good for him. I I beg your pardon? She was one of those creepy women with the tattoos, wasn't she? They're almost as bad as the filthy wolf-pilled men. Market is better off without them. In any event, if Alexander Norris is killing members of the Market Arcanum, we advise you to take precautions for your own safety. You advise we try not to get killed? Oh, thank you so much. Any other blindingly obvious advice to offer? Like exhale after you breathe in or your lungs will explode? It was hard to tell, but Sal was pretty sure she could hear music and raucous shouting in the background of the call. Are you at a party? She asked. It's Tuesday night. Where else would I be? That really isn't the safest. Pobble hung up before Sal could finish her sentence. Grace caught her expression as Sal cut the connection. He didn't thank you for your concern? Figures that Norris wouldn't kill the annoying people first. But Pavel may have been helpful in spite of himself. How so? Asked Manchu. He seemed to think Lydia was one of the women covered in tattoos who come to the market every year. Didn't see any tattoos on the body, said Liam. The Sisters of the Forest, said Asante. Their tattoos are, well, they never offered to let me examine them, but they are definitely magical. Hers might not have survived her death. Sure, why not? Sal had seen weirder in the last three years. What do we know about the Sisters of the Forest, other than the fact that they have tattoos and have some tie to the wolf pelt men, the brothers? Not very much, said Asante. They keep to themselves, and they have no love for this society. The woman Sal and Grace had spoken to recently was a representative sample then. Sal had never met any of the wolf men, but she remembered the way their wolves' eyes had tracked her every move during that first visit to the market. She had assumed it was because she was new, since they hadn't seemed as interested when she returned. Of course, on subsequent visits, she hadn't brought the hand with her. If the wolves can sense demonic possession. You know, said Sal. If I were Norse, whatever I was after in the end, killing people who can tell on sight that I'm an evil demon skin puppet would be a pretty important first step. She turned to Asante. Do you think you could locate them? How would I do that? Magic? Asante's eyes glittered. If they're Norse's next victims, I'll find a way.
0: You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm. Your portal to another world. Listen away. and how he rose from nothing
1: to become New York's King of the Egg Cream.
0: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Mer Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Flattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XC Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.